This is an EM Pulse Heartbeat with your host, Julia Magana. High sensitivity troponins are taking over the nation. Are you ready? Well, Dr. Brim Muma, who's an associate professor of emergency medicine here at UC Davis, is ready, was ready. And in this episode, she shares what we all need to know to be ready as well. We are talking to you today about high sensitivity troponins. Why are you the person to talk to about high sensitivity troponins? So I have to be honest, two or three years ago, I knew very little about high-sensitivity troponins, and then our hospital decided that we were going to start using them. And one of my colleagues in the lab who I'd known for years came to me and said, you know, this is going to be a big change. This is a much bigger change than the other troponin assays. Um, we're very fortunate that he had that insight, and he recruited me to come on board and lead the clinical implementation at our hospital. So together, he and I led our high-sensitivity work group here at our hospital. We developed the algorithm that we now use that guides our care of patients with high-sensitivity troponins. All right, so let's walk through the who, what, where, when, why, how of high-sensitivity troponins, and let's start with what the heck are high-sensitivity troponins? So high-sensitivity troponins have gotten a lot of press recently, as you've seen. They're still measuring the same troponin in the bloodstream, troponin I or troponin T, depending on the assay, that we measured with the older assay. So there's nothing magical about these assays. It's the same troponin. But it's really an analytical definition of what makes an assay a high-sensitivity troponin assay. And the take-home point is that these assays precisely measure troponin at lower levels. The formal definition includes that they must quantify troponin in the majority of healthy people. So instead of giving us an answer of, you know, less than 20, we actually get a number for healthy normal people. Um, and then they need to have less than 10% coefficient of variance, or basically imprecision, at the 99th percentile, which is the cutoff between normal and abnormal. Who is actually ordering these? Walk us through that. Most of the rest of the world, Europe, Canada, Asia, Australia, they've been using these high-sensitivity troponin assays for about a decade. The United States Food and Drug Administration just recently approved the first high-sensitivity troponin assay in January of 2017. And since then, it took a little while for hospitals to start implementing, but now we're seeing hundreds of hospitals across the United States using a high-sensitivity troponin assay. In most places, the high-sensitivity assays are placing the older generation troponin assay. That's what we did here at UC Davis. But there are some centers that are offering both a high-sensitivity assay and the older, uh, what we now call a conventional troponin assay. So it's not just academic centers? Absolutely not. I've, since we implemented, I've been contacted by hospitals across the country, uh, mostly community hospitals that have reached out and had questions about how to implement this assay and how we're using it clinically to take care of our patients. Is it something that you anticipate will overtake the traditional troponins? I think that's where we're headed. Um, the lab explained it to me as your troponin analyzer, your machine is like a car. And every so often, every five to 10 years, you need to get a new car. The machine just starts to break down to the point that it's not worth the expense of repairing it. And when you need to buy that new car, you usually get the latest model, the latest version. So his prediction, and I, I think what's what we've seen in the rest of the world, is that when those troponin analyzers completely break down and aren't worth repairing, most hospitals will invest in a high-sensitivity analyzer to replace them. When should a provider order a high-sensitivity troponin? Is this the same principles? Can we basically just apply it to when we'd order a troponin beforehand? For the most part, yes. But I think we need to really think about when we're ordering troponins in general. So 
In general, yes. If you would order troponin, you can, you just order the high sensitivity troponin instead because at least at our medical center, that's our only option. The older troponin doesn't exist anymore. But we need to be careful and order troponins when we're truly using it as a diagnostic test. One thing we did when we were getting ready to implement our high sensitivity troponin assay was really looked at our nurse-driven triage orders and tried to cut back on ordering troponin for all patients with shortness of breath patients with wheezing, patients who were lightheaded or dizzy. And we tried to cut back on those troponins that were likely to be lower yield for diagnosing a cardiac condition. So tell us how we interpret it. Let's say that our hospital is going to get this. How do we interpret it when we order it? Are these the same cutoff values, the same uh, measurement? That's a great question. And interpretation is really key with the high sensitivity troponin assay. And I think this is where there's the potential for the most benefit, but also the potential for the most trouble with these high sensitivity assays. So traditionally, we've thought of troponin as a pregnancy test for an acute MI. We've talked about it as a positive negative result. But we really need to think about it more the way we think about, say, a white blood cell count, where there's a normal result and there's an abnormal result. And even within the normal result, there's still a spectrum of information that we can take from that test result. So it's not simply that when the high sensitivity troponin result is positive, it indicates the patient's having a myocardial infarction. There's dozens, probably even hundreds of conditions that can cause a conventional troponin, but really a high sensitivity troponin result to be elevated. So we as clinicians really need to interpret those elevated troponin values that we receive back. Here at UC Davis, I mentioned that we developed an algorithm. So before we ever implemented the test, we developed an algorithm to help our physicians interpret the troponin results. When we're evaluating patients for myocardial infarction, we usually do serial troponin testing. So we're looking for a rise in a troponin, but what is a rise? So we very clearly made an algorithm that defined for our clinicians what constitutes a rise in troponin, what constitutes a fall in troponin. And because we are getting more quantifiable troponin values, and we need to be able to interpret those. Can these be applied to kids, or what about our patients less than 18? Certainly, we're using them in kids. I'm not aware of a lot of literature looking at high-sensitivity troponin in kids just because we don't order very many troponins in kids to begin with, but I think it's a great area for study. I don't see any reason why they can't be used in children. Most of the literature has been restricted to adult populations particularly adult populations who are being worked up for cardiac ischemia and infarction. Why should an emergency department push to have this done at their hospital? What are the advantages to this? The big advantage is that high-sensitivity troponins allow for faster disposition of patients. So when a patient has had chest pain for more than three hours and their initial troponin is on our machine less than six or below the limit of quantification of the assay, we can send them home with a single troponin. Whereas with the conventional assay, we would have had to do a troponin when they first got there, and then we would have had to do another troponin three hours later. Our algorithm also allows for a zero-hour troponin and then a one-hour troponin, and the majority of our patients are able to go home either with a single troponin or with an initial troponin and a one-hour troponin instead of an initial troponin and a three-hour troponin, which is what they would have all received before. One thing that's been talked about is whether we're going to diagnose more MIs in patients. And we're not seeing more MI diagnoses. I don't think we were missing myocardial infarctions before, except in the patients in whom we weren't testing. And I think the same is true now. On the flip side, though, we do need to be careful to interpret these troponins correctly What we're seeing is that we're diagnosing a lot more acute myocardial injury and chronic myocardial injury, but not a lot more end stemmies. 
What other questions and concerns do you get from people who might be starting this at their institutions? I think people are just curious about what to expect because there's been some conflicting information in the literature and certainly makes sense that a more sensitive test is going to be less specific and what are we going to do with all these patients with positive troponins? And that's where interpretation is key. When physicians are trained and understand the test and understand how to interpret it, the test can be used completely appropriately and, like I said, can allow for faster disposition of patients. But we have to be careful that we don't have this knee-jerk reaction where we see an elevated troponin and we automatically call it an MI and potentially do unnecessary testing. So how did you roll that out here at UC Davis? So we started months in advance. We did a lot of education. We developed an algorithm, floated it around to the emergency department, who's the single biggest orderer of troponin in our hospital, but also to our internal medicine, our hospitalist groups, our outpatient clinics, as well as our cardiologists to make sure that everybody was on board with how we were going to interpret this troponin test and how we were going to manage these patients. Our algorithm also included some disposition recommendations for the emergency department providers that included not only the troponin values, but also something called the heart score, which takes into account a patient's history, ECG findings, risk factors, age, and troponin values to come up with a score that allows us to risk stratify them with regard to future cardiac events. What about the cost of that? Is this prohibitive? Is this something that can be done across the nation because of cost? The major cost with high-sensitivity troponin is just the cost to buy that analyzer. But to run the cost in the lab, the cost is very similar to the conventional troponin assay. Where would you recommend people start if they want to start this at their institution? There are a few great review articles that talk about high-sensitivity troponin in general and how it can be used in clinical practice. And I'm happy to share our algorithm with anyone who's interested who might be implementing high-sensitivity troponin at your own institution. I hear some hospitals are using cutoff values that are sex-specific. Are you doing that here? And if so, why or why not? For the first time in history, the Food and Drug Administration approved a troponin assay with both a combined cut point to be used for both men and women, as well as sex-specific cut points to be used um, differently for men and women. So example for the assay we use, which is the troponin T assay, our combined cut point is 19, but the cut point for women is 14, and the cut point for men is 22. Um, Within each hospital, we had to decide whether we were going to use the combined or the sex-specific cut points. We ended up choosing to use the combined cut point for a variety of reasons, but that is a decision that each individual hospital implementing the test must decide. I hope you learned as much as I did, and fortunately, Bryn has offered to share some of her resources, including the algorithm that we share here at UC Davis. I wonder, are you using high-sensitivity troponins yet? How's it going? Let's continue the conversation on social media at EM Pulse Podcast, or you can find us at ucdavisem.com. See you next time.